The Reset Podcast is sponsored by Bose. With my new Bose QC35 headphones, nothing gets between me and my music. The noise canceling is world class. They're completely Bluetooth, so there's no wires. The sound is amazing. My producer and I love these so much that we use them to record every single show. For more information about Bose QC35 headphones and other Bose products, check out Bose.com. It's Laura Mignot. It's the second episode of the Reset Podcast. Uh, this is a show where we get to talk about marketing and business in the real world. I bring together some of my best friends from the marketing, business, advertising, even some folks in the government industries to talk about how their respective industries can be reset. Today, I am so pleased to have my dear friend, Charlie Oliver, CEO of Surf Fresh Media, here to have a chat. Um, we're going to have some rosé, got some great truffle french fries, and we're going to have a great conversation. Welcome, Charlie. Hey, thank you for having me. Wow, what an introduction. I've never heard you introduce me like that before. Is it, I hope you're happy with it. I'm very happy. I'm going to now demand that you introduce me like that every time we hang out. Okay. I'm just going to be like, all right. So so when we go to brunch on Sunday, I'll just like say that to the waiter. Like, exactly. Hello, this is the Charlie Oliver, CEO of Surfish Media. And she's illustrious and fabulous yes. and amazing. So the way that I normally do this uh, introduction is always my icebreaker question. And it's always an easy one. Don't, don't, sh- why are you shaking? Don't worry about it. Nothing is ever easy with you. There's always a catch. Because, of course, because I'm trying to make your life miserable. <laughs> um, is to ask, a, you know, a really easy icebreaker. And this one is, what was your first job? Oh, that is easy. See, told you. Uh, okay. Um, okay, so two things. I love that question because it stirred controversy online a few months ago. Really? Uh, why? Yeah, there was a hashtag called my first job. And... Uh, a lot of celebrities and people were, you know, answering that question. This was my first job, hashtag. And it was, they were great jobs. Like, you know, I was, uh, you know, working at a toy shop. I was doing this, doing that. And what they realized was that um, millennials couldn't relate to what the older generations, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers were saying about their first job because a lot of millennials don't get their first job or substantive job until you know, much later. Yeah, well, it's, whereas in our age bracket, I was working at 14. And I mean, working. So my first job was at Amalgamated Bank in New York City. I was 14 years old. That's I like a started, serious job. Yeah, dude, it's no joke. I'll <laughs> well, tell you're you, a serious woman, you know, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> I have to say but but this, is, this, for me, was an important lesson in marketing, and I didn't even know it at that age. Because you so, were 14. Yeah, man. I had problems. <laughs> <laughs> but my mother, I, every summer up until my 14th year, my mother said to me, you're going to spend the summer with your aunt and your uncle. Now, my uncle was in the Army. And so they traveled, you know, so wherever they went, whether it was Germany, Tennessee, Kentucky, I went and stayed with them for two months. And awesome. Well, it's awesome until your aunt starts having kids and you realize that you're the babysitter. (laughs) So you're free help. Oh, you end up becoming. So actually, that was your first job. Yeah, that was my first (laughs) job. So I said to my mother, Mom, I'm not doing it this summer. She said, oh, yes, you are. (laughs) And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, well, here's the alternative. Go get a job. 
If you can get a job, you can do that job. You won't have to go stay with your aunt for the summer. And you're like, enterprising me. Well, <laughs> the thing is, is at that age, you know, at 14, you're too young to get working papers as a teenager. And she literally thought that I wouldn't be allowed to work. So I was already reading the New York Times. And I used to, like, believe it or not, get that every Sunday. I was a nerd. I was kind of different than people and my friends. And uh, You were an indoor child. I was an indoor child. I'm an <laughs> introvert. And I, what I did was I put together a resume. I went to the... What? 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 Babysitting in Germany? <laughs> Again, a lesson in marketing. I said to myself, I said, well, I need a resume. I know this is what I know. You know, this is what all the ads say. So I went to my librarian in school and I said, I need you to help me put together a resume. And she said, okay, what are your skills? And I said, well, I helped my mother with her business and she had, she owned a store and I did, did a little accounting work for her simple stuff, you know? So I put together a resume and then I went to an employment agency. What? How did they that know that you were a child? Were you the, I, well, full disclosure, <laughs> Charlie is pretty tall. But yeah, like, yeah, that so, helped. so that, that helped. may have helped. And so like, you don't know how old you are. I know. They didn't. It helped a lot because you know what I did? I lied. Of course. I lied like a, I lied like a rug. And I went to like a, a number of employment agencies that day. And these were temporary agencies. And I walked in, with, I had on a suit. Did you wear a business suit? Or you wore a business suit? Yeah, I had a suit. I, I made one, like I kind of had a skirt. I'm sure it didn't look great. But what I learned at that age was that confidence accounts for a lot. And I went into one agency and they liked me, gave me the, sent me to Amalgamated Bank. I got the job, like practically on the spot. <laughs> and they, so I, this was a story that I made up for them. I said, I am in college. I'm 18. This is my first summer out of college. And I just need a summer job to kind of, you know, that was my thing. And they liked that story. And I have to tell you something back then, I would think that them looking at me being an 18 year old black girl saying you, you need to hire me was probably the thing that piqued their interest. And it actually got me into a lot of doors was my because well, you're gangster <laughs> the audacity See, you're- of this 18 year old black girl in, you know in the late 80s to you know what i'm saying um so anyway bottom line they hired me but i went back to my mother and i said i got a job <laughs> and she said well where and i says amalgamated bank <laughs> she, she fell out of her chair and so i said i need i need documentation i need to they, they you know yeah it's, <laughs> she was, she went and spent money on my wardrobe. Next thing you know, she's telling everyone, my daughter's going to be working at Amalgamated Bank. And, you know, and I went and they bonded me. It was a big thing. I should not, that should not technically have happened, but it did. <laughs> and I got hired. I got hired. I went in and I was the youngest one there, but I got along with everyone. And did they I ever did figure was, out you were 14? No. And not only that, they promoted me three <laughs> weeks after what? I got there. <laughs> I... <laughs> They promoted me to working on you. I was when I started. This was way back in the day. You had like you know checks, bank checks used to have to be processed manually, like right. by hand, and you had to pull the ones that were problematic. That was my job, pulling checks, pulling checks. And then one girl left the bank, and the, my manager came up to me and she said, "You know, you're special. I, I we, we're liking what we're seeing. We want you to work solely on the lockbox accounts." And lockbox accounts are the union accounts of, like, say, for example, Astra, um, all of the entertainment company, union, entertainment business union accounts. Yeah. And I worked on managing their accounts. And I did that for the rest of the summer. And my first lesson in money, by the way, which was also a lesson in marketing, was, you know, my mother said to me, OK, how much are you? OK, you've got to put money aside for the house to pay me. And I said, pay you. Correct. You know, wait, wait, er. I said, what? She says, yeah, you have to contribute. This was the most important lesson I got in my life. It has literally saved me and created 
situations for me and opportunities for me that otherwise I would never have known. And it's something that I think that a lot of younger generations don't understand. But my mother said to me, as long as you live in this house, you contribute to what needs to, what goes into it. I pay for rent. I pay for this. I pay for that. And you consume. If you consume, you contribute. So I said, well, she says, not only that, you save. So a percentage goes to saving, a percentage goes. So my mother was really good about that. And I, that's what happened. Most of my money that whole summer went to, you know, I paid her some. I started a savings account and then I got to spend a little on myself. And that was my first job. And after that, there was no way I was going to be babysitting again and doing I went from that to other office positions and doing things. And it just but it taught me a lesson in marketing. and And the lesson was this. There is reality. There is perceived reality. Um, and you can create a reality that you want the world to perceive. And it's just as powerful, if not more than what your real situation is. And sometimes it's the thing that puts you over the top. I've never heard that story, Really? but here's the great thing. I have a similar story. Now that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Only because like it almost like it's also because it's, it's so true about perception is reality. And that's the best thing about marketing. Like my first job. I was 17, so not 14. So I was, right. I was not skirting labor laws, unlike okay. you. I can't believe a bank hired a 14-year-old and was like, yeah, all right, bye. What's up? <laughs> like, hey, y'all, how's it going? Um, wait, wait, I just have to say, when I left the bank for the, at, at the end of the summer, I, said, party. I told them, they threw me a big party. It was so, my boss gave me a hug. She says, if you need anything else, Charlie, we're here for you. I was like, bye. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> I'm going back to college. High school. High school. Okay. <laughs> this is... So my best friend in high school, her mom had like this thing where she could work with the county. And so you could like send in your like resume. Same deal. Like I made something up. I was yeah. like, I am good at like telling stories. <laughs> and I was a straight A student because I was a nerd. Also, also indoor child. Well, right. you knew that. <laughs> and, but Jamaican parents. That's why I was an wow. indoor child. I wasn't allowed to do anything wow. at all. And then that's why I went to college. Things went cray. Um, <laughs> But so she like was at the county and she said, oh, so my friend's like, oh, send your resume in. I'll, I'll get your county job. So my friend got this awesome job working for a judge. And I wow. was like, oh, cool. I'll get this job. Mm. And so I sent my resume in and then I get hired at what can only be described as like the land where nonprofits go to die. <laughs> that sounds like a book. I mean, I, that summer, the I could go, and, and, and honestly, it was weird. <laughs> Wait, what is that? The land where? Yeah, because it was horrible. It basically was the most mismanaged nonprofit on earth. And it had social workers who didn't care about people being social workers. Oh, and like, this is the worst place ever. <laughs> basically, it was like a center for teenagers who were in trouble and also mm. people who were had health issues mm. and it was just ridiculously badly managed and what they did was they took these high school kids from the local high school and had them sort of be the summer staff mm. and then they had these two women I'll never forget the, the woman and they were just like the most awful human beings mm. on earth 
So wow. basically, they expected every 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 teenager who was there to sort of was an idiot, and they didn't think they were smart. So I walk in my first day, and because I have Jamaican parents, I wore a business suit. So I walk in, I I say I say hi, I'm Laura, and they're like, okay, have a seat. They assumed I was interviewing for the office manager position <laughs> because, again, I was a 17-year-old black girl wearing a business suit. Black cracks never. You have no idea how old a black woman is. Like, we could be 12 or we could be 27. There is literally no way you can honor. Donald Trump that. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be made of orange. Um, so I'm in this business suit, and they think I'm, in, I'm here for the interview. It's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So the other high school kids all think that I'm here for the office manager job. So they start telling me about how awful this place is and how like they don't do anything. But basically, you get paid three thousand dollars at the end of the year. So that's why they're all here. So basically, wow. all they have to do is just sit and do nothing, and they get the three thousand dollars. And so some of these kids were from broken homes. Some of these kids had kids already. They sound like modern marketers. And I, but the thing was, like, it was like it was such a weird dichotomy of me being this private school kid mm. versus these kids who were at the high school that was in my town mm-hmm. that I would never set foot in who had totally different lives and it was it was such an eye opener for me because what was the one okay so what was the one thing that you took away or that what from that experience was the most impactful that kind of changed your perception or solidified your perception of the world two things <clears throat> one like Race and class means so much. Mm-hmm. And it the way that I got treated versus how those kids got treated was completely different. And it infuriated me mm-hmm. because I was like, but for zip code and timing, we could be in opposite positions. Mm-hmm. And it's horrible that you guys are giving up on these kids. Mm-hmm. And so it made an impact whereby like, if I could ever have enough money to stop those sorts of cycles i want to do it because you look just like me and you have such a different view on the world because you haven't had the opportunities i've had like i was i already took college classes i was already done my aps it was not like which college i might get into it's like which ivy league college was i getting in for free because i was that smart of a kid but also i was at an exclusive private school on the island you are smarter than you actually know because mm. basically I beca- I essentially became the office manager because the woman they hired to be the office manager for real hated the job a week later and they gave me the job. So I ended up becoming the office manager. So it, See? But like I had never taken phone calls. I had never cold called people. I had never taken didn't donations. Matter. Didn't matter. It didn't matter. It was all about like, and I think it was like my first foray into entrepreneurship because it enabled me to sort of like just figure it out. And I think that's the most important thing. But the real thing about how race and class affects how you can be the type of entrepreneur that you are is so endemic when I look at our lives right now. And we think about like how, because, you know, you and I both were entrepreneurs. We happen to be black women, Mm -hmm. but people don't come to us because we're head diversity folks. But like, it's it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's like not an implied, but it's just the way it is. We happen to do dope stuff and we happen to be black women. Great. That has, one doesn't overlap the other. Don't so it was interesting. It was a that's, real. That's fascinating because I think it's almost the same thing for both of us, but a little different situations. And that's that we both walked into corporate America or whatever you want to call it, or these, these business jobs, with not accepting the limitations that society placed on us, which in and of itself, I think, freed the people around us to 
kind of get what they can from us in terms of learning and exchanging information and everything. And it's, I think what, let me ask you a question. I'll answer it if you'd like, but what people are still living under the assumption that they are what society says they are. They are, totally. Yeah, yeah, but don't you think, and especially with regards to marketing, because I think that's probably why a lot of these agencies and brands are struggling so much, because I think that they are also operating under the assumption of what we think they are, which is like these just Big behemoths right, that, 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 yeah. are, that are useless, that it is. And so they're they're playing down to that assumption rather than being what they can be in our lives. Yeah, you don't play yes, up. I, I mean, you don't play up to who you are. Well, where does that change with that? I've been obsessing over this lately because I'm so I, I, I sound like a little disgruntled, but I, I'm a little turned off. I'm more than turned off. I'm really turned off by sort of what's happening. And it's a process. You know, I know we're all going through a process. I think we'll get to the point where we're beyond this whole grasping for everything just to figure out what what we are. But brands in particular have the resources and the time, and they do have the talent. They have access to the talent um, to be more in our lives than we are but on terms that they probably aren't used to doing that on. So in other words, I don't need to buy your crappy product right now, but I do need to be upskilled on some things and maybe you could help me with that. Exactly. Or, you know, and I, they're not even thinking. Because they're not, because it's, I, I think it comes down to this, like it's almost a class thing. Like they, they, they yeah. think they have to dumb everything down for you mm-hmm. and they don't see that there are other ways you can talk to me. And I think that's, it's, it's actually an interesting segue into how like event marketing Mm-hmm. has evolved even over the time that we've been in the business because when we when you think about like the one thing that annoys the both of us is if someone says that we're an event flyer mm-hmm. and I'm like I am absolutely yeah. not an event flyer <laughs> exactly. like do I not I will cut you, you. Like, yeah I will throat punch <laughs> you if you call me <laughs> an event flyer carry a gun no I'm just kidding just kidding <laughs> all right there Trumpy <laughs> Um, no, it's true. But why? Why, why is that? Because like, because they, they 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 sort of put you in a box. Exactly. So like, like, oh, that's what you know how to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how to like throw a party and serve some drinks to me. And I'm like, that's not that what this is. Mm-hmm. So so I say we say a lot about the fact that we create experiences, right. and these experiences allow you to get in touch with a brand and in touch with each other because that's what this is really all about. This one-to-one connection versus this, I'm just going to build a throw a party and have you have some drinks and give you some swag and then be out. It's more about how do I get into your life? How do I make you more unique? Now that is the billion dollar question and it amazes me. I think we're we're going there. I think the technology that's being developed now is obviously going to get us there. I think the expectation expectation of the consumer is still low. I think we don't know what to expect. We don't know what an experience really is. Hell, we just started really experiencing things outside, like with VR and and with different types of technology. We're beginning to understand that we can uh, sort of alter our reality and have these amazing experiences, but we're just touching the tip. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was in Canada yesterday Mm -hmm. and like it's it's interesting and fascinating how they're the same mm. than us, but so far different. And it's not like, you know, you make those jokes that, like, depending on where you're in America, it's either 2016, 2012, or 2009. Mm. Because they're just so far different. behind in terms of 
digital and technology. And when I go to Canada, I, I, I know it's 2016, but it's almost like they sort of have this sort of bright-eyed, bushy-tailedness of when we all first start. Yeah, and it's like, and it was, it was refreshing to hear that because, like, when I was it because it was weird because I think I think I was like I was so validating to hear people get what I was saying about like here is why you guys are actually smart right. and what you're actually tapping into is that you're you're forgetting that like people do, people are expecting this they don't know they're expecting right, this but right. if you provide this value you win mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing with brands right now it's like. If you actually provide this value, you're not reinventing the wheel, you're going to win. And I think with experience is the same way. It's like if you provide things that are a destination, mm-hmm. if you provide things that Education. help me learn, is so, is so key. Like, right. you, you talk about the issues when we, I want to talk about the election, but like how like this, all these people who are very upset because they're losing their jobs in field X. Right. And, there's, and someone's been saying, oh, I can bring those jobs back. And it's like, no one has a time machine. Mm-hmm. So you cannot go back in time and right. like rebuild a coal mine right. like just and or rebuild a car factory. Exactly. Those are gone, it's over. You can only move forward. Mm-hmm. And if you create things that are now unique and mm-hmm. different, mm-hmm. people who have those skills think that those are the only skills they are they had. Right. But take our bright-eyed bushy tail of 14-year-old you and 17-year-old me where it's like I didn't know what I could, I didn't know, but I, I I know how to do some things and so I can take those skills and do something else. Right. So it's the same deal like you have do thousands and thousands of people who have these skills but like if you just sort of open their eyes yeah. to what else is available and say hey look you've been doing all this stuff that requires brute force strength or requires the ability to be mm-hmm. very minutiae with your hands with regards to like building something in a factory there are jobs that are now going to be available to you exactly. but someone needs to tell you that that happens right. and brands if they were smart about it could say like look here is a workshop for people who have x y and z skills like right. and which is what i'm trying and, to do I'm and pr- i mean that's what i want to talk about because yeah. like, I, I i am so excited for you one because i'm super proud of you oh, but thank you but two it, it's it's such that it's so on point for what's so timely now that enables you to sort of say, look, you have these skills, dude. Awaken them and you can make some money. So I think that, you know... It's it's such an awesome time, and it's also a... Look, I've had the the worst (laughs) week of my month. You know this. It's been a... You nailed it. It's it's an exciting time. It's amazing. It's there's things that we could do, that we could be, that we could try. And I'm gonna quote Trump here. So let me preface this by saying I'm not necessarily a Trump supporter. I'm not at all a Trump supporter. I'm gonna move but over here to the lightning. Right. <laughs> Lightning's gonna strike you. <laughs> but, but but hey, what do we have to lose in taking chances on things that we've never done before? And but here's the thing. It's such a hard sell for people who don't who've never done anything differently. And that's that's everyone from Joe Sixpack to the you know, six figure executive who it needs to protect his job and doesn't, his want family, get doesn't want to get fired. So, you know, I just launched a new initiative and I'm really excited about it. And, I, you know, I'm getting good feedback, but it's also really difficult because, like, you know, with your company, when you started yours and when I started mine like years ago, trying to convince people to see something differently and open up to that is the most excruciating thing on the planet. Um, it's it's the, it, it, it not only um, not only because you're being rejected, but because you're constantly questioning 
whether they are ready for it and whether it really does matter. You know, are maybe, you at the right time? Maybe, it's a, maybe yeah. people are going to be okay with sleeping. That scene, I'm obsessed with that scene in Wally because I think there's truth to it, but it's also somewhat frightening. It's like, how much of that are we going to be? Certainly, we're already becoming that, but it doesn't mean it has to play out like that. And it doesn't mean that that's necessarily hell. I think that the movie assumed that being passive consumers of of product and movies or whatever and entertainment is a sort of a hell. But tell that to the average person who sees that as an escape. Tell that to me on a Friday night when I have my wine and Netflix. Like, I just want to escape at the end of the day. So anyway, I don't know how we define that escape and how we tap into that or how we help people to create their next level is what I'm obsessed with. And that's the next initiative that I'm trying to Damn, girl. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long week. I need another glass of, of something. something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's, you know, I mean, I mean, that's why I wanted you here, because, like, you see the world in such a unique way in terms of how people can go the next level. And it's always, it's always, it's because, like, you know, you're my best sounding board for, like, all my crazy ideas. <laughs> and you for mine. It's like, hey, I have this idea for a podcast. And you're like, do it. <laughs> By the way, I, I don't want to call you out on your own show. Because you're going to anyway. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yes. That's why I have I'm, my friends. I'm a little, a little ticked off. I, I sent you some, this is what I mean, right? I sent you something last night. Last, if it was last night, I didn't probably love. You saw it. It said on Facebook, that you saw it. This is why I hate Facebook. <laughs> you, so, you sent you, me something last night on Facebook? I sent you something on Facebook. And yes? it was just a note. It was a quick note. And it said, it said, check this out. Take this quiz. It's just five questions. I want to know what you think. And who knows? You saw it, but maybe you went to sleep or you just didn't get to it or whatever. But this says more about me than it does about you. But still, I was like, and this has to do again with the technology and with us, the, our expectations of each other. But I was like, damn it. I sent it to a couple of people, maybe three people, but you were the most important for me. But anyway, um, why? I need this feedback. Like, I want to know what you think. I want to know, am I on the right track? Is, and, you know, the, the, the feedback loop, you know, that's needed because the ideas are so crazy. And I know that that thing that I sent you was a little crazy. Do you remember what it is? Which one? The, the, the link that I sent you last night. Now I see it. I was on a plane. I was on a plane. So oh, forgive okay. me. So okay. th- I, I just saw like it now. The friendship is still intact. But, but like, no, but I, but I feel bad because I did it. Because like the, last night was difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, my flight was delayed for two hours. So I didn't get home until after midnight. So I probably saw it as I was just landing and kind of get home. So. Well, so here's the thing. It's a little bit of a crazy idea. Ah, that's what, <laughs> yeah. so that's so why you that's my why, feedback. Yes. Oh, that's why I, I'm going crazy. I'm like, was it was it so crazy? We all have our insecurities. We all have our like, whatever. But this, the new the new thing that I'm doing in my new business or so my new initiative is, um, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. End of story. That's all of us, and that's it's going to be the new norm. And that's not a bad thing, but it's a, it's a painful thing. And I know that doesn't seem to make sense, but it, I think in the end it will. <laughs> um, so the, the, the business is, it's, it's, I'm launching it and it feels right, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if brands respond. We'll see if people respond. We'll see what, what the world has to say about it. You want to give a little bit more detail about it? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're on the show to promote your stuff too, homegirl. <laughs> uh, well, so it's it's called Tech Twenty Twenty Five, 
And in the future. In the future, <laughs> tech2025.com. Uh, yeah, and so what it is is I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of uh, how we are preparing to sort of uh, learn about and um, take advantage of the technologies, the emerging technologies that are coming in the next 10 years. We know what these technologies are, right? It's artificial intelligence, 3D printing, driverless cars, blockchain, virtual reality, drones. These are the technologies that, I mean, the experts in these fields, and we know quite a few of them. It's fascinating. The ones who are developing this stuff are saying, and this could be just sort of, you know, but they're all projecting that within the next 10 years, a lot of this technology will be baked, will be ready to pull out of the oven. And when you think about that, it'd be different if, now, I know everything will develop differently. Those, these are just projections. They're probably very, very optimistic forecasts, right? When you're developing your own technology, you, you always want to think that it's going to be ready at this point. But let's just say that two of these things are ready. Artificial intelligence, VR. VR, definitely. There's such a push for VR. A lot of this stuff is being developed together. It's an ecosystem now that's sort of coming together. It's very hard to predict because of that. Because right. there's so many disruptive technologies, what that is. What's going to win, what's, what's going to win, what's going to live, how it's going to affect the markets. You're going to see companies coming together, breaking apart, whatever. So where does that leave the average person? You know, for one thing, businesses don't know what to do. They're confused, blah, blah, blah. The average person is even more confused because they need a job. They're being told that there aren't going to be jobs. They're going to be out of a job. Like if you're a truck driver, you'll be serving his cars, you're out. You're going to be useless. (laughs) Pretty much, that's what it's saying. So what Tech 2025 does is it's a platform where we have workshops, live events, a community um, that teaches people about the emerging technologies, particularly small businesses and startup entrepreneurs. Um, we teach them about the, these emerging technologies. What is it? What's the ecosystem like? Who are the major players? What's going on right now? What do I need to be aware of? How does this affect me? What do I, what do I need to look at in the next year in artificial intelligence? Or what is some of the news that's going on on a global, because we oftentimes look at America, but what's happening in artificial intelligence around the world? What's going on? So we teach them these things. We do workshops. And then in workshops, we ask them to look at their own lives and their own situations. And we do all kinds of exercises that gets them to begin to think about the future in a different way. I think probably our biggest downfall, if, if there is one, is that we are looking at the future today um, the way that we did yesterday. And I think that our survival, our growth, our success is 100% contingent upon us being able to think about the future in a different way. We have to let go of some of our preconceived notions, ideas, and insecurities about what we are and what we can be in order to maximize the technology and the opportunities that are just ahead of us. Otherwise, we fall through the cracks. Totally. It's like, I mean, does that make sense? Um, and that's and the problem with that idea, guys. I know, please forgive me. I know it's, it sounds very lofty and it's big. I'm trying to bring it down. Right, so that, distill it. Yes, distill it. So I thought to myself, yeah, what is the business model here? Well, number one, you know, people will pay for courses or whatever. I'm not really, I don't want it to be, I don't, I don't want it to be cost prohibitive, right? Right. I want brands to pay for the re education or the upskilling of people in small companies and the, you know, the communities that they want to be a part of, that they want to engage with. I think it's a, I think that there is something there in saying to brands, and it doesn't have to be a big, big brand. It can right, be anybody who's trying to reach out. I will sponsor your, I will, uh, you know, support this initiative to help people understand the technologies that we ourselves are trying to understand, right? Because what's going to come out of it is 